We've been in the study of Philippians, and Bree is sitting here ready to read the scripture when we set the stage. We're to Philippians 4. It is not a student come back to school chapter. It is just the progression of how we find ourselves today. Let me give you some background. Paul is obviously no longer in the city of Philippi. He has some things that have happened to him. He is away. He is writing this letter. And Philippi is about 10 miles inland from the Mediterranean Sea. It was made wealthy by gold and silver mines, which were depleted by the time Jesus arrived on earth. But it still made Philippi a rich, wealthy, commercial, endowed city. It was blessed with a lot that other cities weren't blessed with. It was about 400 years old, and it had come under the rule of Rome. And for Paul and Rome, you know how that collides sometimes. The story actually begins, it's interesting how this connects in the New Testament. The story actually begins over in Acts, when Acts is telling the story by Luke of how the church was created, and it traces the missionary journeys of Paul. And Paul was on his second such missionary journey. And in Acts 16, we see in verse 9, if you want to follow with me there, I'll just trace some of the happenings that lead up to this, and then Bree will lead our scripture for the day. A vision appeared to Paul. I don't know how you feel about visions. Paul believed them, and he acted on them. I don't know how you feel about dreams, but Paul believed them. And in fact, Acts 2, it talks about your young men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions, and Paul acted on this one. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing in his vision, appearing to him and saying, come to Macedonia. Now, Macedonia is where Philippi was. And help us. And when he had seen the vision, he immediately sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that his vision was real and that God had called him to preach in Philippi. And then it traces where he went to get there. And in verse 12 it says, he arrived in Philippi, which is a leading district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying there for some days. And then in verse 13, setting the stage, it says, And the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were just supposing that there would be a place of prayer. There was no synagogue. There was a shortage of Jews in Philippi. And so he was supposing that at least they'd have a place of prayer. And we sat down and we began speaking to the women who had assembled. Women play a big role in this church in Philippi. And a woman, another woman, named Lydia. You remember the story of Lydia? sold purple and God says again the spirit acted now students members guests I don't know how you feel about the spirit acting but the New Testament feels like it acts it acts in the life of people and Lydia was listening to Paul and God opened her heart verse 14 The Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. I think that's going to happen to you. I think that's going to happen to all of us. And it so happened that uh, she and her household were baptized. And so the church in Philippi began with Lydia and these women, her whole household. And in verse 16, trouble begins. It happened that we were going to the place 
of prayer and a slave girl having a spirit of divination and fortune telling kept crying out and saying things like this is well let me just read it to you these men are bond servants of the most high God which doesn't sound bad does it but she kept saying it and apparently interrupting and there was some problem with this and Paul just acted which is exactly what he tells us not to do in our scripture for today and he called upon the Holy Spirit and he drove the demon, the spirit out of this girl which caused a lot of problems I don't think he perceived the problems I don't think he thought about them but he might should have because it turns out to be now the Lord doesn't leave him because of what he did the Lord blesses him in verse uh, 19 but when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone because she couldn't tell fortunes anymore and make money they seized Paul and they dragged him into the marketplace and in verse 20 they brought them to the chief magistrate and in verse 22 the crowd rose up against them in verse 23 they struck them many blows this was not a pleasant scene they beat him up they bloodied him badly and they threw him in prison and they commanded the jailer to guard him secretly now you know what happens then don't you the jailer the Philippian jailer you know that story the earthquake comes and breaks Paul's bonds and it was another one of those vision Holy Spirit God acting today that we don't often seek or really believe in and the Lord added to the church the jailer and all all his family so the church was building through all of that this is where we find ourselves when Philippians 4 opens Brie will read us the first few verses reading Philippians 4 verse 1 through 3 um, therefore my beloved brethren who I long to see my joy and crown in this way stand firm in the Lord my beloved I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony with the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. So let me tell you how this came about. Eddie called me Friday and he was making a gigantic presentation to the ACU Board of Trustees. And he said, uh, you know, with a storm and all, and with my third grandbaby being born for sure Monday morning, I'm afraid of getting from Abilene to Austin and back to Dallas in time for her birth. Plus, there have been some birth pains. And what if she's born during my sermon? I would, I would hate myself. Can you stand in? I said, well, it'll be spur of the moment, you know that. And he said, well, I mean, how hard can Philippians 4 be? I mean, Philippians 4 is like a love letter, right? And so I began reading, and I find these first three verses and say, holy cow, this is hard. This is, this is treacherous ground. And so all my preparation, I decided last night we had a dinner with my daughter and I said, you know, I've just got to get the rest of that. I got I to gotta do something on the rest of that chapter, not just dwell on the negative here. 
And so I said, I'll get up in the morning and I'll cover the rest of the chapter. 5.03 this morning, I was sitting at our dinner table in the dark, flipped on the lights. They glimmered a little bit. I sat down, open to Philippians 4, and at that moment, the electricity went out. I said, I think that equates to a vision or the Holy Spirit acting or a direct divination from God. (laughs) And so, you know, by the time I got candles lit and stuff, we had an elders meeting this morning at 7.45, and I just said, this is going to have to stick. What I've prepared is what's going to happen. But this is a hard lesson. Students, I think this will happen to you in your school year. You'll have, you'll have an issue that you'll have to resolve. Maybe a professor, maybe a classmate, maybe a roommate. And church, this will happen, won't it? It's happened in our lives. It's, a, it's something that Paul preached about and probably wished he had um, done a little bit more of before he slapped this demon out of this girl. Maybe we should have discussed this. Maybe we should have prepared for this. Maybe I didn't realize the impact. Now again, the Lord didn't leave him because of that. He blessed him. But Paul's message here in these first three verses, these tight, dynamic, forceful three verses, leave there to be little doubt that disputes are to be resolved. They're just to be resolved. I mean, Paul's take on this, it seems like uh, leaving is not an excuse. Folding your arms, turning your back is not an excuse, regardless of your belief and how strong you are, because disputes are going to happen. We've experienced them, haven't we? I remember the time when uh, we were a bigger church and there hadn't been condos downtown built. And we had a neighborhood that we attracted in. It was a big church. And Lanny Henniger was a great preacher. And unbeknownst to any of us, none of us could have fathomed that he would be driving down Mopac and slowly pull over to the side and die. And for the next two years, this church was in deep grief. Indeed, the elders were struggling. Uh, Who can fill the shoes of this man after 26, 28 years? And it came down to after two years of searching and interviewing and praying and fervently beseeching the Holy Spirit that it came down to what not our choice at all. One person. Only one person we felt was qualified and accepted our invitation to come. And it was such a dramatic important event all eight ten elders fell on their knees in thanksgiving it was a gift it was something that happened and could have been very divisive could have been very big in dispute as to who we chose but the lord gave us space and blessing it happens when we decided to include women in our worship it was an amazing dramatic important decision and I will never forget the elders and what they decided to do they said well now you know we're eight elders 
And they referred to this verse, you know, we've got to resolve this because there were four and four. Four who felt like there'd be two divisive. We just can't be changing things in the middle of things. And four who felt like we needed to move forward with it. Well, what do you do with that? Well, they decided that they would talk to members of the church and begin having group meetings, discuss it, see how people felt, what are scriptures we haven't thought about. And then they spent a full year just studying every elders meeting, just studying, continuing to talk. What do we do? And then there was a change in leadership of our staff. And we decided we would, we would implement women in worship. And then Eddie came and did it. He said, we're going to do this. But you know what the deciding deal was there? I mean, we still had disputes. We still had people that said, we can't do this. But we met, we talked, and we tried to resolve. But there was a man that came to us named uh, Jimmy Roberts. You remember him? Gray-headed professor of Princeton Divinity School. He would come here in the summer, and he would teach at Austin Grad, and he would worship with us. And he began teaching classes on that issue. Uh, Just educational classes. What does the New Testament say? And it came down to this. Is that a directive to all churches for all times forevermore? Or was Paul talking to that church because of its particular situation? And then he taught us and taught the elders that there were other scriptures that we need to look at. We need to look at the overriding New Testament teaching on that. And we worked and we prayed and Eddie got here and we did it. Do you remember the very first time somebody waited on the table here? The devil was right here in our midst. All the trays in the back dropped. Huge clang. Those that were opposed said, see? Those who uh, weren't opposed said, devil's in our midst. What did Paul mean for us to say? And what do we know and what do we don't know. I mean, what did Paul want us to do with this? You notice the absence of details here, don't you? We don't know these ladies. They're never mentioned again in the New Testament. We don't know what the issue was. We don't know what had been discussed before. We don't know whether they had been in prayer for this long time. We know that Paul knew about it. He was away in prison. He was concerned about it. What do we know? We know the names. We know it was important to Paul. We know he pulled it out of secrecy and put it right in front of the church for them to discuss and work through. We know he wanted it resolved and directed that it be dissolved. We know that it's probably not a salvation issue because Paul says in those three verses, you're all in the book of life. You're all still in the book of life. This is not a salvation thing. This is not whether I see you in heaven. This is just a difference of opinion. I really didn't want to cover these three verses. I even noticed, I got up in the middle of the night and noticed that Eddie didn't include them in his scripture reading for the day. What a coward, huh? 
So it's not my choice. And let me say to you right now, I don't have anything in mind here. I don't know a single issue that divides us right now. I don't know of any person that needs to resolve a dispute. There are probably some. And Paul, but Paul seems to be saying, they're going to come, and here it is, in your face. And Paul seems to be saying, based upon some of the commentaries I've read, there's four things you might consider in resolving these disputes. One is communicate. Don't turn your back. Let's talk about it. You know, when my kids were little, they'd have one of these screeching disagreements. Teeth clenched, ready to just end the life of the other. And I never understood it at the time. Now I see the wisdom of it, but I think I've told you this before. Leanne would call them together, make them look into the eyes of each other. And she would say, Megan, this is your sister Chelsea. Chelsea, this is your sister Megan. Megan, say your sister's name. It's Megan. Chelsea, say your sister's name. It's Chelsea. It's Megan. Now, talk to me about why you are fighting like this. Now, let's go to the couch and discuss this. Let me, let me intervene here and just try to give you my viewpoint on this. It's something about knowing each other, isn't there? About understanding the background of why I take this stand. Something, something I need to know about you before I criticize you and take a stand against you. And Paul knew it. And he even appointed a mediator, didn't he? He said, this yoke fellow is going to talk to you about this, come between you, going to solve this problem because it's going to be resolved. Um, you know that before I came on staff here, I was a lawyer for 34 years. And that was my job was to win. Second point here is look for a win-win. What if there's a solution that solves the problem? Are you looking for a solution that solves the problem or are you looking for a win on your part? In my line of business before joining the staff here, it was, and I've had to learn this over the last year, it's, it's asking the right questions. It's not how much can I be paid to win this dispute. Let me ask the right question. And let me give you an example. One of the last cases I handled was a bad burn case. A lady in a restaurant who went to fill a sweet glass of tea from the brewer. And something happened to cause the brewing part of the hot tea machine to fall on her shoulder as she bent over to fill the glass of tea. Well, the company took the position and hired me to say there was, we didn't do anything wrong. And she was a trainer. She was there training people that day. She should have known. And if there was something askew, she was trained to spot it. And she took the position that I am burned. I have blisters. I have scars. I'll always have them. And you didn't even pay my medical bills. Now, the mediator did exactly what Leanne did. He said, face one another. Tell me your story. Let's see if we can get to the heart of this. 
And then he separated us. And he went into the company and he said, uh, what's the deal here? You haven't even paid her medical? And there was a human resource person there representing the company who said, you know, she's right. We did not even pay her medical bills. We're willing to do that. Meteor goes back into the other room. They're willing to pay your medical bills if you'll reduce your demand to what something is reasonable. And she said, I'm so anxious to get this over with. I can live with my burns. I'm old enough that that's not going to bother me. Let's talk. They agreed to pay the medical bills and not much more. And it resolved the whole thing. Beautiful, beautiful. I mean, I, I used to tell my clients, let's wait right here in our confidential room and not even get in the risk getting in the elevator with them. And this was not the case. Everything was resolved. In the Christian context, in, in, we don't even go that far sometimes, do we? Even the courts of Texas insist that before you can get to trial in one of our courthouses, you've got to face the other person and mediate this issue. You've got to stand and tell us why this is a dispute in your mind. We don't even go that far sometimes. The history of our movement has been to just, we've got choices. Sure, I can just go somewhere else. The third step is to evaluate the uh, options for the sake of resolution. We've really talked about this. Um, And the fourth option or step here is, can we get something that goes both ways and is not harsh for either side? Let me say it again. I didn't choose this text. I don't know why we're here today on this text, but we are. Um, But it seemed destined that maybe it fits and to resolve our history and to talk and to not walk away. This text is interesting in that Paul's teaching was very direct. He didn't say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think with you through this and think that maybe you should do this and that. He said, I'm an apostle. I had a personal witness with Jesus Christ, God's son. And I have authority to say these things to you. And he put them down in public so that we would read them today for some reason. Paul seems to be saying there will be differences. A writer, a Christian writer says... Our particular faith has had 103 big-time differences. Everything from songs we choose to the cups we drink the blood of Christ with to the kitchens we serve the poor with to instruments, to women, to classroom leaders. Paul seems to be saying, let's get past that. He's, He's saying to us... I think you'll grow. I think if you'll get past this and resolve it, I think you'll be better. Because if you walk away and you don't resolve it, it's like folding your hands and saying, my way and a highway. 
but you'll grow if you can work through it. This Thursday, I'll have my last mediation ever. And I know the company will want to take a position. And I know that the plaintiff will feel like they slipped and fall on something that shouldn't have been on the floor. And it'll be hard for me to talk the company out of even taking a hard line. It'll just be hard for me to get them to listen. It'll be hard for me to say, when you go in this room, you're going to hear things you don't want to hear. But I'm asking you to consider yourself from that person's position. Consider that they got hurt. Consider that you were in charge of the place. And I know that the mediator will come over here to the plaintiff and say, you know, I've seen the pictures. I know where you fell. That was right where you were in charge. If there was something there, could it be that you put it there? And he'll make everybody think through all this. And he'll make it open and notorious, the issues. And we'll have a choice. The church has a choice. Church has been directed today to consider things that are hard things to consider. Not presently, but they will come. Students, let me say one more time. This is going to be a good year for you, but it will not be without issues you need to resolve. The elders of this church, Carrie McCall, the staff at this church stand ready to help you and any other member here. We know what it's like to be in Paul's shoes. So let me ask you, are we asking the right questions? When that speed arises, will you ask yourself, can I get my way? Why do I have to listen? Why do I have to spend the time? Let's examine ourselves this morning. In a moment, we'll take the blood and we'll take the bread and we'll commemorate Christ's death. And we'll think about Paul's directives. It's a quiet, good time to be thinking about this and who you might need to approach to listen. Let's stand and sing.